Good morning. Such a delight sharing the word with you this morning. In South Africa, we commemorate Women's Month in August. And this is in, as a tribute to the more than 20,000 women that marched to the Union buildings August the 9th in 1956. And they did this in protest against an extension of past laws to women. That was an example of rising up. So why do we still have to do that in the 21st century? I quote for you, a quote from Lynn White, Jr. And she said, few inventions have been so simple as the stir-up, but few have had so catalytic an influence on history. Our theme for August is praise God, it's a girl. And we are looking to minister God's heart for hope and redemption. This is in response to the scourge of the gender-based violence that we see in our nation and in our country. But not that only, we also want to raise an awareness and an activism so that we can change the narrative of our history that includes violence, bias, inequalities, disregard, devaluing of women. And various forms still continues to remain. So the focus is to build a reality that upholds kingdom principles over one of the critical issues that still continues to haunt our nation. You would agree that we can no longer remain quiet. We can no longer remain unmoved and immobilized. It is time that we are diligent and intentional about breaking all the apathies that are existing and that we disregard, that all the disregard that continues to cripple women's history and their paths. So indeed, it's a multifaceted topic and we cannot possibly cover everything. We all have our convictions or how we think about it, but we are going some way in starting crucial conversations so that we can bring all these matters under the mighty hand of God. Because what we want to see, we want to see the hurt healed, the afflicted restored. We want to see transformation of the perpetrators and their customs. And we want to influence and impact the future for our children. In the first session, Pastor Loreco reflected on celebrating and reaffirming this beauty and the strength of femininity that comes from God. He unpacked how Jesus challenged the boys' club mindset of the day. Over the centuries, this has justified all the acts of discrimination, the acts of disregard, the acts of persecution, intimidation, oppression, and violence that we have seen and that we have come to know. We think back to Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. Whilst his disciples did not want to go to Samaria, Jesus went because his heart was to redeem and to restore. And so what do we see 
We don't see Jesus here as an autocrat or as an abuser or as a user. But we come to see him in John chapter 4 as creator, redeemer. One that wants to actively redeem culture. And he comes and he restores her dignity. And she goes and she becomes one of his representatives. And so we come to see that when our God redeems and restores, any place of shame can become a place of honor. So today, as we, ex as we celebrate Women's Day, I get to explore with you how God wants to redeem the narrative of our reputation and, of course, our current reality of that imposing masculinity. He wants to do that through us. And my topic is raising them right, raising them well. So, the wells of yesteryear, where the women went, translates into our homes and our workplaces of today. So Jesus can no longer come to the wells, no, but he can impact our homes and our workplaces through us, for us to bring the impact. So as parents, we get to impact and influence our children as well as their worlds and those that come into their contact through, uh, from our homes, from our dining room tables, from our workplaces, and from our places of ministry, like his kids, his tots, and of course, his youth. So the future narrative of women and our children depends on how we teach them, how we model, how we raise them, and how we raise both boys and girls to love God and others. And boys who respect authority, and of course, children who value what is right. So let's start looking at our own reality today. You'd agree a picture speaks a thousand words. I could not describe to you everything that this picture tells you just at one glance. So our current reality reflects negligible or inadequate change. So you can see the starting line and the end line is the same for both. But the hurdles in the respective lanes for the athletes are not the same. And it's unequal. So add to all the domestic devices, add in the workplace, even the bias, the inequalities, the disregard, all the soft skills that exercised against them. You can add them as additional hurdles for the women. So that you can even see the devaluing and the autonomy and the dependence of the independence of the women are taken away. They cannot move without actually glancing to the right to perhaps get a go-ahead. So it's a no-brainer. Women's race are compromised. So today still, there are still atmospheres that breed complacency and disregard. And we still see sustained patriarchal practices and of course systems, value systems that are there. However, today we want to find and see that God's heart is to see 
our story rewritten through us. We are repainting that portrait to the benefit of our future children. I want to tell you my personal story. When I grew up, that was the picture that you saw. As girls, we were expected to be equipped in all the domestic responsibilities. I had to cook, I had to clean up, I had to do everything, ironing and the lot. But my father's and my mother's namesakes were excused. Why? Because it was viewed very skeptically that those years for men and for boys to do domestic work. I got to university and this continued. I then experienced racism. I experienced a devaluing and a disregard. And this continued into my professional career because I started and I got involved in a male-dominated profession of dentistry at the time. We were about five females in a class of 46 males. So what did I learn? I learned that your gender, your race, your class, your status, your nationality will always be an issue in this world. So I found it very easy the time to talk about it, to criticize instead of creating opportunities. I could easily complain, could easily complain versus inspiring. That was the hard work. The easy work is to complain. The hard work is to inspire. And of course, to exaggerate versus trusting, to ignore versus collaborating. That was very easy for me to do. I came later on in my life, I came to learn, and as I grew spiritually, in Daniel 11.32, I quote, but the people who know their God will be strong and take action. It was then that I was influenced in realizing that that is where God's grace is. It's in the hard work. It's in addressing instead of dwelling in the victim mentality, but to do the hard work of helping, of educating, of bringing others into the sphere of understanding God's heart. So our compassions, our reinforcements, our biases, they all pay forward. We are the artists of that portrait and our children can tell a different story. So what are the practical implications for raising the future generation if we want to give them both a heart and a backbone? Firstly, number one, pave the way to spe speak God's heart. And how do we do that? Recognize the struggles. We recognize how we want to prioritize restoring the worth of women and their value and their dignity. So we want to do a reality check about our mindsets and about the quality of our conversations and our vocabulary. When we are referring to the female pr president or minister running education or running health, we want to be able to change our dialogue. Colossians 4 verse 6 says, Let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So, 
We want to do the hard work. I refer to the easy ones. We can complain. We can identify and just go with the conversation, equally criticizing. But we can do the hard work to create those opportunities at home and in the workplace to uplift, to inspire, to empower, to educate and to promote women in the workplace, to give them a place of dignity. In that way, we will help them to address all bias. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I'm reminded of the story in Numbers 27. When Zalifo had, he had died, he was a son and a descendant of Joseph. He had died and he had no sons. And because he had no sons, he, he was actually from the, the generation of Korah. And when he had died, his inheritance could not be given to his daughters. And you find them, they caused a stir up. They appeared before Moses and their priests in the temple. And they presented their case. And they said, why can we not get our father's inheritance? Moses consulted the Lord, and the Lord said to him, assign them their father's property. So as we do this, as we cause a stir up and challenge to bring change, these will become disciplines. Disciplines will become habits, and the habits will become a culture. So we need to learn to speak up against patriarchy and against abuse. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. That is God's heart to do it through us. Number two. Set aside stereotyping traditions and cultures to honor God. Someone once quoted a reality check for traditions. He said, traditions are nothing but peer pressure from those that have gone by, but who can now no longer be aware of the implications nor ways to solve them. In Mark 7, Jesus encounters the Pharisees and they ask him and they say to him, why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders? And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And so, yes, we are not referring to our traditional dishes that we love but the traditional stance and mindsets and understanding of women, how we relate to them. And perhaps it is time that we set time aside to have those guarded, sensitive conversations around these very critical issues. So we have to rethink and we have to review how we protect and overprotect our children in a way that they don't understand tradition in a way they don't know why we have certain practices. Even our own reservations, we want to revisit them and have those discussions. Number three, 
speaking to our past and to our prodigals. And so it's very easy to remain anger and to be filled with contempt. But then God wants us to try to understand the context in which that day was that allowed them to do that. And we want to allow God to show his love through us. First Timothy 5 says, verse 1, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. So Romans 12, 21 also says, Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. What is that saying? Become aggressive with good, because good invites repentance. It facilitates change, and it paves the way for that. Let love lead in our actions and in our responses. So as number four, as we co-parent as husbands and wives, it is important to know that marriage takes a front seat. We do find, especially now during COVID, it was not uncommon for tempers to flare up, to find out, but who's doing what? Is one person entirely responsible? When are we having those conversations? And even having those conversations, finding out that the work that needed to be done was not done because everybody has their, have, has their own uh, convictions. So we want to have two parents, but one plan. So we want to know that there's the power of agreement, that there is consistency in how we model what we need done, and there is contagious communication. We ask our husbands and ourselves as wives and mothers to model leadership and model authenticity, to be authentic. So what can dads do differently in the home or in the workplace? Firstly, we can be better allies and partners to our women at home. We had to re learn to remove the barriers that make the load more difficult. Barriers to lightening the load in the workplace and at home. To model masculinity to our sons in how we treat and how we speak to our wives, our mums, our sisters, our daughters. Because as we do that, that pays forward, our sons learn how to speak to their sisters and how to speak to their wives in the future. There is a book, Becoming Men. It was written by Malose Langa. And he had done some research into the masculinities in a South African township. And his recommendation was that if we want to change and limit the destructive, risky behaviors, we have to, in actual fact, model and promote alternative constructions of masculinity. Only our dads can do that. So what can mothers do differently? We say no to the silent donkey. No to being moody when things don't go our way when we are overworked, no to saying we are going to be miserable about it. So there is caution in the word that we flag our anger. We can get angry, but there's a way, it is the how, there is a way that we can handle it that pleases God. Ephesians 4 verse 2, 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And remember, every issue 
has a shelf life. It cannot go into the future. To our girls, we want our moms to model and reaffirm that the beauty of femininity and the strength of it comes from God. So it's not all about fighting for equality, no. But we want to empower, we want to mentor, and we want to coach. There are many other models that we can use to help as we guide our uh, coaching conversations. So what about single mums and parents? It's a tough, challenging act. It's a responsibility, and you have no support. The challenges are real, very real. But the important thing to know, you still have to do hard work, and all your children want is good parenting. They need loving, discipline, and protection from you. Ephesians 6, 4 says, bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Don't let lies from the enemy steal and rob your joy. Those conflict conversations that you may have with your ex or with a father that is not involved, you can get help. You can get God's help. Daily time in the Bible, daily prayer, because God wants to enable you. You can have the confidence and you can avoid the comparison trap because it is never expected from you that you have to be both parents, even though that is what you feel might be necessary. God will be making up for what is missing. There is a promise in Jeremiah 32, 27, and he says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? So what do we want our children to know? says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. We want our children to get rooted and equipped with truth. This means every posture and at every opportunity. So we don't have all the answers, but just quickly a framework. And I want to glean from work that was discussed at the Marketplace Forum. We want to reinforce the power of purpose with kingdom principle. It's important for our children to know that their identity is in God. And to know God, we must grow in intimacy with him. And of course, this developing of disciplines and habits of devotion to be in God's word daily. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. There is more to just being themselves. There is a plan and a purpose for their lives. Jeremiah 29:11 says, "It is to prosper them and not harm them. They have a hope and a future as promised. We want to teach them to become responsible citizens. How they love, how they care, how they share, how they take stewardship of the environment around them will flow out of that fundamental relationship, foundational relationship with God. So we can create an atmosphere of play. It creates connection and engagement. And they learn to discern. They learn to ask questions. They learn to judge and they learn to make decisions. You may even want to start a connect group at home, buy them, equip them, give them sharing responsibilities for devotion. They may bring their friends to participate. And in that way, your field of influence is even expanded and it must have real life ex uh, application. Teach them that spiritual community and supportive relationships 
are essential. Get them to surround themselves with truth-tellers. Their friends must be truth-tellers because they can also benefit in this community from being discipled and they learn to hear God's voice. So we also want them to recognize and have insight as to the why we have upsets. There are ample opportunities in the media that they can learn from, that they can glean from. Now, we cannot defend bad judgment and bad behaviors, but we can create those opportunities to have think tanks, that we can have those real, honest, safe discussions, crucial conversations, that we can understand what they perceive and how they feel. We can glean from the consequences of not having a relationship with God. If there's no identity in God, there is no intimacy. And all of this gets replaced with worship of false gods. And how that does, it then teaches them that they have, that it, it causes inferiority complexes and, of course, selfishness. And so there is a need for power wielding. We see this played out very well with Queen Vashti. She was the queen of King Xerxes. He had a mighty and a vast um, uh, household and a um, empire. So he hosted a six-month-long six banquet because he wanted to put all his possessions on play and exhibit his grandeur. And he wanted to show Queen Vashti as his possession. And she refused. Now her decision, in actual fact, had vast implications, far-reaching implications. She was then deposed from the king's house. And so you may ask, what were the consequences and the conclusion to Queen Vashti's deposition? Esther chapter 1 teaches us that God is never absent, no matter what happens. He's always at work, and he uses our difficulties. She was thrown out of the palace disdainfully, dis absolutely disrespectfully, but God had a plan to powerful display his providence and sovereignty. He used her circumstances. And as a result of that, millions of Jews will say we're safe from annihilation. He is our covenant God who redeems and who restores. I end. The current reality in our homes, in our workplaces is not perfect. But God knows it all. He is omniscient. He's working through us all to see all the flaws and the issues resolved and redeemed. And so because of this, we can be filled with all hope in believing that the lies of our history cannot accompany our children into theirs. If our actions now do not meet the requirements of God, we may conclude with a call in Revelation 3, verse 2 to 3. Wake up, strengthen what remains, repent from everything that is not meant to be. I want to do an altar call. If there is any one of you that have listened to the word this morning and it has touched you and you've experienced disregard, bias, violation, some contempt fills you and you have resentment and bitterness. If you're a single parent and you're feeling that you're really having a difficult time and you need prayer. If you've been devalued by your husband and maybe close family. If you need to repent of some mindsets and ways or traditions that do not align with God's heart. If that is you, 
And you need prayer. We'd love to pray with you. There is a number on the screen. Please dial it today. Amen. Thank you so much, Yvette, for that word. I'm hoping all of us are inspired to lean into God as we learn how to raise better men for a better society. Please be reminded that we pray every Thursday at 6 p.m. And all the women, join us for Rise Up Conference and so we can learn how to take courage and be everything God has made you to be. Sign up. It's on the 14th of August and it's going to be awesome. See you next week. See you next week. Bye.